For those that remain in the auditorium and watching online, please take your Bibles, if you would, and head on over to the book of Romans. We've been in Romans for most of the year. Romans chapter 15, and this morning we want to look at verses 14 through 21. Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. As we come into Thanksgiving this year, it may feel and seem a little different. No doubt last year's Thanksgiving certainly felt a little different. I think our circumstance and situation was looming so large that we lost sight of just how big God is. And so uh, we were struggling perhaps to find things to be thankful for. And here we are a year later. The situation has not improved um, greatly uh, in what we're in. In fact, in some ways, we may view it as gotten worse. And it may be difficult even this Thanksgiving to come into it and praise God uh, in the midst of it. And yet, as we saw, saw last week, Paul in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, ends this section by saying, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Our hope is not that our circumstances may be changed. Our hope is not that the length of time in our current circumstances will be shortened. But our hope is that the one who has begun the work of transformation in our lives to make us less like ourselves and more like him is performing it and will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ when we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Our greatest issue is not the need for a vaccine or the virus. Our greatest issue is that we are rebel sinners against a thrice holy God, a problem and an issue that he has resolved in Christ. So that is our greatest hope. And so I pray that we have find much to be thankful for even this Thanksgiving. As we come to the passage before us, it can be very difficult, I would submit impossible uh, in many ways, to know someone's heart, the motivation behind why they do what they do. And here we have a situation where Paul has written a letter to a church that he has never visited. He obviously then did not help plant it or found it. He has never visited one-on-one -on -one with these individuals, and yet he took it upon himself to write them this letter. And so the question may remain, why? Why did he write this letter to this group of people? And he answers that, at least in part, in the section before us this morning. What I think we're going to find here this morning is Paul's heart, his motivation behind what he does. The answer to the question, why? Why does he do this? We have it before us this morning, I believe, in this section. So follow along with, you, with me, if you would, as I read Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything 
except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elicrum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of God. And so in the first place then this morning, we see Paul's heart for the Romans, specifically for this group of people that he's never met. He has taken the time and the energy to put ink to parchment to send this letter off to Christians that he has never personally interacted with. And so his particular heart for them comes out in verses 14 through 16. In the first place in verse 14, we see Paul's heart of courtesy. This is not flattery. Paul's not being disingenuous. He is not being deceptive but he is being courteous to them in Christ. So he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. You have three realities. You are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Paul understands, and he's going to say that in just a moment, that parts of this letter have been very bold, blunt, forthright. This is how Paul writes and certainly how Paul speaks. And so he wants to write to the church at Rome, to these Christians at Rome, before he wraps up the letter and say to them, out of courtesy to them, that the gospel that he believes they know and understand and believe and are being transformed by is having its effect. So even though he has written to them boldly, he appreciates what he knows to be true about them, things that he also said in chapter one as he opened There are at least three things that he points out, as mentioned. The first is their goodness. The word here has the idea of having someone else's best interest in mind. Goodness implies that it is not about the individual who is being good. It's not about their name, their brand, their social media following, their fame, their name, what they can get in return. It is a very pure act and and, and repeated actions of believing uh, in someone else, of, of serving someone else and having their best interest in mind. And Paul says the Christians at Rome are characterized by this goodness. It's not that what they do is being done for their own self-interest, for their own selfishness, to advance their own cause. They actually are desirous of the best for others. And may it be so with us as well. Far too often, we do what we do for ourselves, for what we benefit from it, what we get out of it, and not just purely because we want what's best for another person. That is the power of the gospel at work in our lives. It was the power of the gospel at work in the lives of the Roman Christians. Secondarily, they were filled with all knowledge. Now, this does not mean then that Paul's writing this letter is superfluous, that it, didn't, it was unnecessary, He did write this letter to them to remind them of certain things, but he understands that because they know the gospel, they have all the knowledge they need to go deeper in their relationship with God and in truth. They do not get beyond the gospel. They have the gospel, and therefore they are filled with all knowledge. And in fact, he says, thirdly, they're able to instruct one another. You have a level of maturity that enables you to not only know the truth, but know how to share the truth. And you are doing that there in Rome. 
But notice in 15a, the first part of verse 15, his explanation. But on some points he says, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. He has written to them about these divisions that exist in the congregation. Again, as mentioned, it's primarily a Jewish, predominantly certainly a Jewish, or sorry, a Gentile congregation. The Jews have been expelled from the city of Rome and only recently been allowed back in. And this has created some dramas, created some conflict, some contention within the church. And so Paul has written to them in that way. Chapters 1 through 3, as we noted, he, he, he reminds them that they are all sinners. They are all lost and undone before a thrice holy God. Just because they have a certain last name, you can trace their lineage back to a certain person, does not mean that they have inherent righteousness, but instead means that they are just as much a sinner as anyone else. Paul has written just recently as we work through chapter 14, first part of chapter 15, there are divisions in the church, individuals that believe certain things very strongly and individuals that do not believe the opposite, in fact, and they are butting heads. There's contention there. And Paul's written to them very boldly, he says, on these things. But he's done so to remind them of this truth, of these truths. We need reminders. We are a forgetful people. How many times has God blessed us? And how often have we forgotten those blessings? So the next time we have a need, we are either ignoring God or when we cry out to him, we're crying out as if he has never answered our prayers in the past. We forget the power, the might, the beauty, and the majesty, and the grace, and the mercy of our loving Heavenly Father. We forget the truths of God's word. We need daily reminders, moment-by-moment -moment reminders, certainly weekly reminders. Why do we gather every single Sunday? Remember that on this day, Jesus Christ rose back to life from the dead, giving us hope of the same. That's why we gather. We need that reminder every week. We need the reminder every day. Why do we have a day marked out for Thanksgiving? It's an annual reminder. It should be more, but it's at least an annual reminder. Why do we need that? You would think that being grateful is something that we would know we should be, and yet we are not oftentimes. And so Paul says, I'm I was bold and blunt and forthright to you because I wanted to remind you of these truths, these truths that he's written about the gospel. And notice then Paul's heart in the back half of verse 15 and then verse 16. Paul believed that his calling as an apostle to the Gentiles was a sacred calling. Notice the, the language here, which is so reminiscent of Jewish language, temple language. He is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. In the original language, it's a different word than Paul usually uses to describe himself. In fact, it's unique to this portion of Scripture. Minister here in the sense of a priestly function has the idea of liturgy, liturgical worship. He says it's a priestly service, the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles, the offering, the sacrifice of the Gentiles similar fashion, the sacrifice of the Old Testament system may be acceptable, 12, 1 and 2, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's drenched in Jewish language. Not that Paul necessarily feels the need to justify his ministry to the Gentiles, to the Jewish element in the church, but notice his heart for the Gentiles. Paul's a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. The apostles are all Jewish. The first disciples were all Jewish. But as the Jews, so us, the tendency is to keep God's goodness for ourselves. Thank you, God, for all your blessings. Keep them coming in this direction. 
And yet, what does Paul say? Yes, I am a Jew. But Jesus, although a Jew, is the Savior, is the Messiah, is the Lord for all people. And my ministry to the Gentiles is equally as valid, equally as important, equally as necessary as any minister to the Jews. This hated group of people, my ministry to them is sacred. It is important, it is vital, it is necessary. It brings honor and glory to God. We're going to see Paul's heart in this as we wrap up as well. Paul, when he went to different places, went to the synagogue first. And in the synagogue, he preached the truth that the Messiah had already come. Typically, the response, at least by the majority, was to remove him from the synagogue. And then where did Paul go? He went to the Gentiles. And so his ministry is towards those that are marginalized, those that are hated, those that are despised, those that are downtrodden. And our ministry ought to reflect that as well. And it is a sacred ministry. It has eternal value and weight and effects. Speaking the gospel to one person who receives it, is transformed by it, is transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and will thereby live forever in the presence of a thrice holy God. That is eternal work. That is the work that we are called to. It is for this reason that Paul picks up ink and pen and quill and parchment and writes to the church at Rome. He is not contradicting himself when he says he does not want to build another person's foundation. He is simply saying, my heart for the Gentiles speaks so strongly that this church predominated by Gentiles, I want to write to you to remind you of the gospel. Although you are not my converts, no one ever is a convert of anybody other than Jesus Christ, but although God did not use me to, uh, in your salvation, I, want, I felt the need to write to you because I love Gentiles. I love people that are hated by others. And it should be the same with us. Notice then in verses 17 to 19, Paul's heart of humility. Paul will say in other places that he has nothing to boast in save Jesus Christ, and he says that here as well. In the first place, the reality of the gospel comes only through Jesus Christ. Paul knows he cannot change anyone. Believe him, he tried. He tried to get these blasphemers to stop blaspheming. He tried by having them martyred. He tried by having them thrown into prison. He tried everything to get them to stop. But only God has the power to change the human heart. And Paul was a recipient of that change, and he became one of these supposed blasphemers, a follower of the way, a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul knows that any ministry he had is only a ministry of the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Only God can change hearts. And so Paul has stuck to the word of God and the gospel, not going beyond or not giving less because the only thing that has power is the word of God. And Paul says, Christ has accomplished these things through me. I may have been the instrument, may have been the mouthpiece, but Jesus Christ is the one that accomplished this. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the spirit of God. Paul laid claim to none of these things. All of this was the power of Jesus Christ on display. We see this numerous times. Peter and John, there wants to be praise to them. And they said, look, it's not about us, it's about Jesus Christ. 
Paul, in one of his missionary journeys, there is an attempt to worship him as a God, and he says, no, 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 none of it's to me. It's all to God. To God be the glory. As we just sang, all glory be to Christ. So the reality of human transformation, heart transformation, is the power of God to the Holy Spirit. And then the scope of the gospel, the scope of the transforming work of God is also Jesus Christ. Notice he says, from Jerusalem, the epicenter of the gospel, and then rippling out like a stone dropped into water all the way to Lycrium, is he says, fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He hasn't got as far west as Rome. He wants to get there as a free man, not as he eventually does get there, to encourage them and then to go uh, by their support and with their help all the way to Spain, the farthest west place perhaps that Paul knew. And so the scope of the gospel, how did this message, it started in Jerusalem with a ragtag group of 11 guys as we noted back in Matthew 28 a few Sundays ago. How did it start from there and ripple out and go to Judea and even Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the world? All of that is Jesus Christ the righteous. How do we, sitting here in Charlottetown, PEI in 2021, how do we know the message of a Jewish itinerant preacher in Jerusalem in AD 0 to AD 33? How do we know about this? Because the power of Jesus Christ, the reality of the gospel and the scope of the gospel is all Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't take any credit for himself, and neither should we. And notice as we wrap up that in verses 20 and 21, Paul's heart for the gospel. Thus he says... I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And we'll see that quote from Isaiah in just a moment. In verse 20 then, Paul is desirous that all may hear. And by that he means everyone. He wants to go to the farthest reaches of the Roman Empire and share the message of the Messiah, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is not saying that those that stick around and do the work of discipleship, continual work of discipleship, are in the wrong. He is not saying that he's never built on someone else's foundation. There have been places, such as Ephesus, where he stayed a longer period of time. He is building on someone else's foundation by writing this letter. What he is saying is his particular calling is to go where the gospel has never been heard. And thank God for those who still do that today. There are people on planet Earth that still have not been introduced to Jesus Christ the righteous. And so we thank God for those. It's not everybody's gifting, but it was Paul's unique gifting. And his heart for the gospel is, no matter how far I have to travel, no matter what I have to go through to get there, I want to make sure that everyone in my lifetime on planet Earth knows about Jesus Christ. But notice verse 21, he also wants all to hear, that all may hear. That's not a typo. That means all, including even the Gentiles. The Gentiles were hated by the Jews. There's some justification for that, knowing the history of persecution of Jews by Gentiles, and anti-Semitism has not gone anywhere. It still exists today. And in fact, at the time that Paul is writing, Jews did not even go over to a Gentile home to have a meal. There is deep division has been at this point for millennia, well-founded and well-taught even to the next generation. And yet the gospel bursts in and says that the point where those are individuals of the most hated, most marginalized, most outcast of society, that's where the gospel shines brightest. And Paul says, my desire is that those who are on the outside looking in will be on the inside looking up. 
He wants the Gentiles even to know the gospel that all may hear. So what is our response this morning, Grace Baptist? We also ought to live out the gospel. We also ought to be thankful for those who have this kind of heart, and we ought to also see this heart in ourselves. It is difficult, as I mentioned, for us to consistently be thankful. We tend to highlight negative things. We tend to speak of those things, gripe and complain about those things, moan and murmur about those things. And that God calls us to thanksgiving. I have a challenge for you this morning. No doubt you can remember someone in your life who pointed you to Jesus Christ. Someone in your life who has consistently pointed you to Jesus Christ, mentored you, invested in you, modeled for you the goodness that Paul talks about in verse 14. When is the last time you reached out to that individual and thanked them? I have seen disturbing trends amongst my fellow pastors. There's a lot of weariness and exhaustion. There's a lot of pain and suffering. A number of men that I know have left the ministry and many more are considering it. They are saying in the United States there is a tsunami wave of pastoral resignations that are coming once the pandemic is over and some of these guys are only hanging on until the all clear is given and then they're going to tender their resignations. It is difficult to minister the gospel to people who say they believe it but do not live it. So when is the last time that you reached out to someone from your childhood, from the time that you came to faith in Christ, said, thank you. Thank you for believing in me, for investing in me, for sharing truth with me. My challenge to you is before the day is out, reach out to that individual. I'm on a private group on Facebook with some pastors. The question was put out, what would most encourage you? And the most common answer was not a raise, was not longer vacation. The most common answer was a word, a note, a letter, an email of encouragement. We are so quick to judge and so quick to give negativity. Let us be reminded of those like Paul who have a heart for the gospel and reach out and thank them even today. Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he's saying, because of my minister that I've been called to the Gentiles, I've never even met you, but I love you. And I want you to know the truth. And thank God for many individuals that have done that in our lives. May we be thankful for that and let them know that. And then Paul's heart for the gospel as we wrap up. What does it also mean to live out the gospel? We've been preaching on this for a number of weeks. But there are individuals that are quickly becoming the most hated individuals in our culture and society. Those that are currently unvaccinated. There are individuals that are on the outside looking in. There are individuals that are marginalized, individuals that are persecuted. It is still happening in our day. That's where the gospel needs to be shared the most. It's easy to love people that think like us. It's easy to get along with people that share our same perspective on things. It's easy to surround ourselves with an echo chamber of individuals that just tell us we're awesome and our views are amazing. 
it is far more difficult to reach out to someone from a different tribe, someone with a different perspective, a different point of view, and say, God loves you and so do I. Are we living that out in our lives? Are we reaching out to those that are despised and downtrodden, those that are viewed poorly, especially by our tribe? Tribalism has been and continues to kill us, definitely in Atlantic Canada and beyond. Have we reached across to somebody else who does not believe exactly as we do and shared with them the love of the gospel? Paul took a step, a bold step, to share the gospel with people that most of his fellow Jews believed should never have good news presented to them. They don't deserve it. Well, neither do we. And so when we know the gospel... <laughs> It ought to live itself out in our lives. We are but sinners. There is no one here this morning who is better than anyone else. We are simply sinners in need of a Savior. He has found us. He desires to introduce himself to those in our sphere of influence. Can we introduce them to the only one who can change them, who can make them new, who can give them hope, who can give them peace, and who can give them eternal life? Let us be about that this week and beyond. Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you this morning for your great love to us. What an amazing God you are. Father, we are so undeserving of your grace, and yet you have given it to us, your mercy, your goodness. You have showered us with blessings, not least of which is our relationship with you regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation and how long it lasts, we have hope in you. Because, Father, both in this life and in the life to come, we have a relationship with you. We have sung that you are our everything. And I pray that that is true in our hearts and lives. So, Father, in the spirit of thanksgiving and in line with Paul's heart, the church at Rome, can we take some time out of our so-called busy schedules, which oftentimes means running around after the things that we want for us, lay that aside just for a few moments and reach out to an individual or individuals and just say thank you. Thank you for your impact in my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for not leaving me when you had every right to. Thank you for supporting me, even when I rejected your advice and help. Thank you for being an example to me of faithfulness, of love, of fidelity to the gospel and to God. But Father, can we reach out to that family member, that friend, that enemy, that maybe right now we actually hate and despise and have been attempting through social media and other formats to yell and scream at them until they either change their mind or disappear? Can we instead reach out to that individual that maybe you're bringing into our minds right now and confess our sins, repent of our anger and our rage, our misdirected hate and judgmentalism and say, God loves you and Jesus died for you and I love you too. I'd love to talk to you more about that. Our only hope 
is not a vaccine, a booster shot, the removal of a virus. Our only hope is not in better politics, better leadership, a change in our environment. Our hope is not to solve climate change or any number of issues, Father. Our only hope is Jesus Christ. Our only hope is the good news that although we are great sinners, there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That is our greatest need, and he is the only answer. I pray that we would believe it, we would trust in it, and we would live it out this week and beyond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.